The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Uh, No, no, don't close your eyes if you're driving. But if you're not driving, close your eyes and focus on the picture that comes into your mind when I say the words Alzheimer's disease. What do you see? If you're like most people, you see an older person, someone who is detached or perhaps non-interactive with other people or with their environment, someone who may be confused, agitated, perhaps fearful, uh, someone not capable of living independently, not capable of contributing much to life. It may surprise you to hear this. But not everyone with Alzheimer's disease is old. Not everyone with Alzheimer's disease is detached or confused. In fact, persons who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease may have a continued involvement in life that benefits others. One of the primary goals of treatment of Alzheimer's disease is to prolong that period. But some people develop Alzheimer's disease when they are young. Our guest today is one of these. It is estimated that in the United States, about 200,000 persons under the age of 65 have this early onset form of Alzheimer's disease. These are people who are working, raising children, filling responsible positions in their communities. So the face of Alzheimer's disease, the face of Alzheimer's disease, not necessarily old, not necessarily confused or disoriented, not necessarily dependent on others. The face of Alzheimer's disease is changing. Our guest today is Libby Embry, and we are going to talk about early onset Alzheimer's disease and fighting back. So come on in, grab a cup of coffee and have a seat. Let's have a conversation about Alzheimer's disease, a disease you want to know about. I hope this program helps you to know more about it. Libby Embry, it is a pleasure to have you on this radio program. Thank you, Dr. Brinkman. I'm glad to be here. Libby has been my friend and colleague in the Alzheimer advocacy world for a long time, and she 
has been bold and courageous in her willingness to step up, talk about her experience, uh, put herself into situations which perhaps tax more on her memory than her memory has to offer at times, all for the good of those who are dealing with Alzheimer's disease. So Libby, first what I would like you to do is just tell me a little bit about yourself, your background. All right, um, be glad to. Um, like Sam told you, my name is Libby Embry. Um, I will be 66 next month, and I don't tell that to too many people. Uh, and I li- now live in Abilene, Texas. I grew up in a small town in Kansas, and um, my husband ended up being in the military, so we've traveled everywhere. So I'll go back to six years ago. Uh, just like probably many of you, I was at the top of my game. I had been teaching English for over 20 years, uh, a job I loved with a staff of people that were just the best. I was head of the English department, uh, had a lot of responsibility, and during my time as a teacher, I served on many uh, committees, and I chaired many of those committees. I was one of the first advanced placement teachers in Abilene, was one of the team of teachers that were chosen to write the advanced placement curriculum for the state of Texas. So I was just—I loved what I was doing. Uh, And in fact, Libby started in 1968, and during this time, I was a military wife for 23 of the 46 years that we've been married. We had two children: one, a special needs child, um, lived a nomadic life of the military, uh, endured the stress of a special needs child, and endured the teenage years of my daughter. And uh, we were, my husband was finally retired, and we had settled in Abilene, Texas. Um, in my late 50s, my son was finally doing very well, and my daughter had grown up, and we'd been blessed with two beautiful grandchildren. Much later, we had a third one. And really, at the, during that time, I really didn't, I just thought life couldn't get any better. And just when it seemed it couldn't get any better, I found myself having problems keeping up with um, the task of teaching. Uh, my workday consisted of a daily meeting with other teachers. I taught six classes a day, graded papers for approximately 100 students, tutored before and after school, returned phone calls, emails, parents, just the things that all teachers do. But they started introducing the computer and doing a lot of the um, online work. Um, I had to do all my, um, as the English department head, I had to order everything online. I also had to do my grading online also had to enter roll online. Well, I'm old enough that I didn't grow up with the computer, so this was all new to me. But at the time, <clears throat> I could do what I needed to do. Um, the problems first started with a computer. Um, I was never an expert, but I could do what I needed to do. But when they started adding more and more, it was just very hard for me to figure it out. And I had several, several people teaching me several different ways to do all this online work. And it didn't matter who taught me or what they taught me or how they taught me. I could not grasp it. And uh, so my coworkers started um, stepping in and doing the work for me. And uh, I had some other problems and some other issues at that time, but... That's pretty much the background before Alzheimer's. 
that must have been a very frustrating experience for you. But I imagine at that point, Alzheimer's disease was the last thing on your mind. It really was. I mean, I was only 58 at the time, got the diagnosis at 59. But, I mean, I just, I couldn't figure it out. And everybody was covering for me, uh, doing my work for me. Um, We had a, the group of teachers that I worked with, uh, we team taught. So we had a a planning and meeting time every day. And uh, I, one day, uh, this was kind of my first red flag that there could be a problem. Um, One day, I absolutely forgot there was a meeting. I mean, the kids laughed. It was the time that I always went to the meeting. I sat down and started grading papers, and um, finally somebody came in and said, what are you doing? And I said, I've got papers to grade. And they said, well, what about the meeting? And I said, what meeting? Now, this is a meeting that we had every single day of the entire school year, and I'd been working there for over 20 years. And I, I, I was just, I couldn't even remember the meeting. I got up and went with them, and I thought, I don't even know what this person's talking about. And then when we got to the meeting, I kind of looked around the room, and I thought, I know, I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm supposed to be here. What, what's, what is wrong with me? So that was one of the first indications that there might be a problem. Um, I also um, did... Um, after school tutoring at the local colleges and the high school. And uh, I was supposed to be over to one of the schools at 4 o'clock one afternoon. And I kind of spent the day, you know, when I wasn't teaching, getting my, um, you know, I was getting prepared, getting everything together, had it all sitting, you know, right by my desk. I had a Post-it note on my desk. I had one on my locker, had one on my purse. Because I was forgetting things, so I was reminding my, I knew to remind myself of things. And uh, at 2 o'clock, one of the teachers came by, and she knew I'd been having some problems, and she just reminded me, don't forget you have to be over to one of the schools at 4 o'clock. And I thought, well, I know I'm going over there, but, you know, thanks for helping me out. And uh, when the kids left at 3.30, when my students left at 3.30, I sat down and started grading papers, and it was gone from my mind between 2 o'clock and 3.30 that I had to be somewhere else. And at 4 o'clock, the phone rang, and it was a school asking me if I was running late. And I grabbed my stuff and took off, and I cried all the way there. And I, I, I knew then that I, that there was a problem. I, you know, you didn't forget in an hour and a half something you'd planned on all day. So it was very, um, it was very terrifying. Libby, how long did you have these kinds of difficulties before you decided to uh, find a diagnosis or talk with someone about what was going on? Well, that school year, and I don't know exactly what time, what time of the year that happened, but that school year, I continued to have problems for getting meetings, and I was the head of the English part department, so I called meetings, uh, you know, to discuss books that we wanted to order and different things like that and lessons and what we were going to do across the curriculum. And I would call these meetings, and they'd all walk into my room, a group of teachers, and I would just kind of look at them and say, what are we doing? 
and, you know, they would say, well, you called a meeting about the books we're going to order, you know, and I would just be really pretty mortified that I couldn't remember this. I couldn't remember meetings. I was, couldn't do the computer. I uh, was forgetting to return phone calls and emails, and my entire desk was nothing more than one huge island of post-it notes trying to remind myself of the things that I had to do. And um, so at the end of that school year, I was just relieved that it was over because I'd had so many problems. And that summer, I discussed with my husband whether I should retire or not. And, uh, you know, the problems weren't insurmountable at that time. And I had so much help from colleagues and friends. And I thought, you know, I, you know, I don't have to retire yet. But it was a consideration that my husband and I both gave some thought to. And I went back to school the next school year. And I thought summer would give me a huge break and I'd be able to kind of pull myself together and go back with a, you know, a fresh, you know, frame of mind over the whole thing. And as soon as school started, I was just completely overwhelmed again. And I couldn't do the, I still couldn't do the computer work. And they were adding more computer work, still forgetting. But, I mean, the biggest um, plus, I guess, for this school year was, and maybe a plus for me but not for anybody else, was my friends just stepped up to the plate and they were doing my online work. They I had two or three people come by every day and remind me of places I had to be and, you know, committees I had to be on and the schools I had to be at. And, um, but I, I also felt very guilty about it because I felt like, you know, they had their job to do and it wasn't their job to do my job. It wasn't their job to cover for me. And not only that, I wanted to do my own job and I couldn't do it. Libby, thank you. Thank you for uh, going over all of those things leading up to getting the diagnosis. We're going to go to a commercial break in just a minute. And when we return, we're going to to talk with you, Libby, about receiving the diagnosis and how long it took and what that experience was like. So stay with us. We'll be back in three minutes. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. 
Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for staying with us. We are talking with Libby Embry, who at the age of 57 was voted Teacher of the Year in this region and at the age of 59 was told that she had Alzheimer's disease. And Libby has talked with us in our first segment about the experiences that she had doing things that required uh, memory acuity and simply gradually losing the ability to do those things such as learn the uh, computer systems that were being implemented, remembering to go to meetings and things like that. Libby, welcome back. I would like to ask you, how did you go about getting a diagnosis? Well, uh, I finally retired from teaching that year and that was six years ago. That summer, I uh, thought this would... You know, this would, I, I would pull myself together after I got out from underneath the stretch, stress of teaching. But eight months after my retirement, I was diagnosed with young set Alzheimer's disease. Um, <clears throat> what happened is um, after I retired from teaching, I didn't have, I wasn't facing those kinds of problems. I still couldn't remember. I just couldn't, I couldn't, it was like numbers kind of disappeared from my thinking process. Uh, I couldn't remember dates, couldn't remember schedules, anything like that. I started getting, um, well, I started uh, not being able to find places like the store and places that I went all the time, hair, my hair salon, things like that. Um, I took a little part-time job and started getting lost coming home and finding myself in other towns which was a really terrifying experience. Um, but I, some things happened that I couldn't keep from... I was not telling my family at all. I, was, I wasn't telling anybody any of this. And finally some things happened that um, we just couldn't ignore any longer, and I finally had to tell my husband. I mean, the red flags were waving, and we just really didn't have a choice. And he took me to see our family physician, who listened to my symptoms, and then... Um, he promptly sent me to a neurologist. 
I, I took care of my father who had Alzheimer's and his father had Alzheimer's. So I, I, knew what I, was, I knew what I might be looking at. So, you know, I told my family physician that, you know, this could be Alzheimer's. And he said, you're too young. And I said, no, my father got it when he was in his 40s. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm really scared of that. So he sent me to a neurologist right away. I was with the neurologist the next day. <clears throat> and um, he did, you know, just a myriad of tests, MRIs and CAT scans and PET scans. And, um, and not that you can get uh, a definitive diagnosis, but by looking at those things, they saw abnormalities. And with the symptoms that I had, he told me that he was pretty sure that it was Alzheimer's. It took about a week to get the results of all that. And I do remember going back into the um, neurologist office and uh, waiting for that diagnosis. And um, I, was, I was praying for a brain tumor. I took care of my father, and I didn't want to have Alzheimer's. I, I would have rather have faced a brain tumor than Alzheimer's, but Alzheimer's it was. And um, from there, um, he recommended that I see a neuropsychologist. And uh, when I went in to see that man, he did some tests, and he told me that it was neural, that it was Alzheimer's. And uh, he turned out to be one of my best friends in the entire world. His name is Sam Brinkman, and I'm talking to him right now. You um, are very kind. <laughs> um, but he also told me at the time that, you know, if I it told me to go see the Alzheimer's Association, and just said, you know, maybe together we can do some things that might raise awareness. Because I said, I, I want to help this disease. I want to do what I can. And so um, I've been on board with you for six years. For some uh, time now. Immediately after the, Libby, immediately after the diagnosis, it must have been a little difficult. Oh, it was terrible. Um, you know, we went home that day. It was Jerry and I, and we didn't tell the kids. But I re- for a while... But I'm, I laid down on the, I just went to bed and crawled up in the fetal position and cried for two weeks. I mean, you put me on air except in the Menda, but uh, it hadn't kicked in yet, and I was, I was just a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, you're just terrified, angry. I mean, everything that you can feel, you feel. And I guess the medicine kicked in because I finally stood up and I said, you know, I'm letting this disease wait. One way ahead of time, you know, I'm not ready to to give up, and uh, so we told the kids, and we just said we're going to fight, and we did, and that's when we went to the Alzheimer's Association, and I kind of got on board for, um, you know, working and doing what I could. But it, it's how did terrifying. how did Jerry react? Um, well, as much as I cried, I think he cried twice as much. Um, I mean. He knew nothing about the disease. I mean, he'd seen my father. But, I mean, you know, just like everybody else, you think it's, you know, you're pretty sure it's just a death sentence. And, uh, you know, I I know he was terrified of what he was going to have to face with me. But, you know, he's been strong, and he's been by me, and he's, um, you know, we've we've absolutely come to grips with it. And what will be, and there's, there's nothing you can change, the only thing I That's can right. do is fight. And, Libby, and I don't mean fight that I'm going to, to win, but fight to raise awareness and do what you can 
to uh, help future generations not have to face Libby, Tell me about how your children reacted. Did they even know what you were talking about when you said Alzheimer's disease? Hmm. Um, they remembered their grandfather, and all they remember about him is that he, he was always, he always had Alzheimer's. They don't remember him any other way because he got it in his 40s. So uh, my son, I, you know, I'll be very honest about that. I mean, it was absolute denial. He, he walked out. He, did, he wasn't going to talk about it. My daughter, of course, she was very upset. Um, you know, she's, she faces things much differently than he does. And, um, you know, but again, she, she didn't think that anything good could come out of this. But we promised them, we told them, then that I was going to fight to raise awareness and I was not going to allow them to get this disease. I carry a gene, so the chances of one of them getting it is very, you know, I mean, that's a problem, you know. It's significant, yes. Yes. And then my daughter, I had one grandchild at the time. No, two grandchildren at the time. And, you know, I mean, I was thinking of them, and I'm thinking, you know, it's time for somebody to step up and do something and find a cure for this disease because, uh, you know, we found a cure for everything else. Why can't we do this? So I just set about with the blessing of my family to um, step up to the plate and, and do everything I could possibly do. I'd been working all my life, so I, I, I didn't know how not to work. So this was going to be what I did. It's clear in all the things that you had been doing before memory problems came about that uh, you are a leader by nature, just by your personality. You uh, like to deal with problems head on and not hide from them. And uh, you like to mobilize people and mobilize resources. So you went to the Alzheimer's Association office to find out what you could about the disease, right? Yes. We just, Jerry and I both decided the first thing we needed to do was educate ourselves about the disease. I mean, I knew, my, I knew what had happened to my dad, but I'd never taken any steps. I'd just taken care of it. So we, we really educated ourselves and went straight down to the Alzheimer's office and met these two wonderful people that have become my best friends. And uh, they gave us every bit of information that we, could, that, they, you know, that we possibly could have needed on this disease. And while I was there, I said, you know, I'm, I, I want to make a difference. I mean, I don't know how much of a difference I can make, but I want to make a difference. And I saw that they tons of things going on, but nobody there to help. So I said, um, I'm going to start coming down and helping you out. And so, you know, that started with um, typing and mailing. And um, I wrote a letter to every civic organization in town and every church and said I'd speak and let people know about the disease and um you know, got involved in the uh, walk in Alzheimer's, which you find in every town and city across the United States every fall, which is, you know, a significant thing. You know, it's our most significant awareness project, fundraiser, whatever you want to say. And then uh, from there I got, um, I was uh, so <clears throat> selected to be on a national early stage advisory group there were uh, 12 people chosen across the United States, and uh, for a year I spent 
a lot of time in Chicago and D.C. Uh, speaking and raising awareness, and we passed through the ever first ever bill about um, Alzheimer's. You know, it was our goal to erase the stigma of the disease because, you know, we felt like, the whole group of us felt like one of the most important things is if we're embarrassed that we have it, if, if we can't um, stand up and talk about it, then why do we expect anybody else to? So that was well, our me, first thing is to put ourselves out there. And, uh, just, and I appreciate what you've done there. Uh, I want to talk with you after our break about two things. One is that National Early Stage Advisory Group. Okay. And two is the, some of your advocacy efforts as well as uh, things that you have done to help provide real tools for people who are dealing with Alzheimer's disease. So we're going to go to a break. Please stay with us as we talk with Libby Embry. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matter System provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to NeuroMatters. Welcome back to our program. We are talking with Libby Embry, who at the age of 59 years had to quit working as the director of the English department at her school because her memory was failing. 
she was given a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, and she knew very much what that meant because she had seen her father with early onset Alzheimer's disease and her grandfather as well. So she received this diagnosis, and after a period of time of, what can we say, simply a grief response, Libby decided that it was time to step up and do something about it. So she was one of 12 individuals around the country that was asked to serve on the National Early Stage Advisory Group. Libby, tell me what that Early Stage Advisory Group is. Well, I'd like to say very. the first thing is I was so honored to be chosen and, and pretty much floored, but um, that's, that goes without saying. Um, we um, met in Chicago several times during that year um, uh, for a couple of days to discuss, the very first time was to discuss our goals and what we could do and how we would go about doing them. And the three things that we really wanted to do as a group was to raise awareness by the disease for the disease. And we knew in doing that that we would have to go out and speak publicly to large groups of people to try to get them to see how much help was needed in this disease and how it affects people um, that aren't old. Um, the second thing we wanted to do is, that goes along with raising awareness was to erase the stigma. You know, I mean, a long time ago, they were locking their loved ones up in a room and not letting them out. Um, and then the third thing was we wanted to get before Congress. We wanted to get ourselves before Congress. We knew we couldn't do anything without getting, you know, bills and laws passed to even recognize Alzheimer's as a disease. So those were the three things that we wanted to do. Um, we um, met several times. We all made plans to go out and speak. We were, many of us asked to go um, speak before large groups. I went um, uh, to Boston, uh, Chicago, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And, of course, in, in speaking to these large groups of people about the disease, you're hoping to raise money, and, and we were able to do that. Um, when I went to Boston, I spoke before a, cor- a corporation that adopted uh, Alzheimer's as their, um, you know, they would, they would do things to help us. And um, they've given us several million dollars uh, towards research. So, uh, and everybody else was doing pretty much the same kind of things. Um, we were asked, Jerry and I were, uh, that's my husband, were asked to be on uh, medical panels before doctors uh, to um, say what needed to be done when these people, when doctors were faced with Alzheimer's patients. Um, one of the biggest problems we found in speaking to all these people and going all over the United States was when you're young, you can't get a diagnosis of Alzheimer's because people are, doctors, medical professionals, are thinking they... You can't have that. So one of the, the biggest um, things that we set out to correct was um, a lot of times women in their late 30s and 40s that, are, that have Alzheimer's are being um, given the diagnosis of um, being menopausal or depressed. And you're, then you deal with that medication and um, you really can't get a, uh, a definitive, I mean, you can't get a diagnosis. 
for years. Some people go 10 years without it. Men at that stage of the game, you know, 30s and 40s and 50s, they're told they, they have a late onset ADD, and they're treated for that. And so that was one of the things that we, we wanted doctors to be educated, and that's one of the things that Jerry and I talked about on the panels that we've been on with medical professionals, is the education of healthcare professionals in giving a diagnosis for this disease. And um, so, I mean, that, uh, there, you know, things like that are, are, are what we, um, some of the things we've done. Um, one of the fun things I got to do is I, I got to be in the Rose Bowl Parade and be on the first ever float that Pfizer put on for Alzheimer's. And it was just really neat, and I think that um, there was a lot of feedback about that um, float and how meaningful it was to a lot of people that, you know, we had that avenue to raise awareness. I think it was very helpful in raising awareness. What was it like for you knowing that there had been a stigma associated with having Alzheimer's disease? What was it like for you to stand before a group of people and talk about it knowing that um, the stigma exists? Well, I saw such a stigma for my father, and I'd heard other people talk about how we joined an early stage advisory group. And uh, people would say how all of their friends had backed away and, you know, weren't calling anymore and they weren't getting to do, they, they weren't doing what they did before. Well, it, it's very hard. I mean, to get up in front of a group of people and tell your story. And, it, and some of the groups that we went to, it, it, was, it was really sad because when I went in, people didn't really know I had the disease. They thought that I was there to discuss the disease, and possibly I worked for the Alzheimer's Association. So there would be all these rude remarks, you know, and jokes made about Alzheimer's disease. Then I would have to get up in front of the group and say, I have Alzheimer's. And they would be pretty much aghast and, I'm, and very embarrassed, I'm sure. But you know, it's, uh, an, it's, it's an interesting... Stand up and, it is. It's very difficult it's, to stand up and tell people what's happening with you. And I mean... Uh, you don't have with this disease. It's not a popular disease, so you don't have the sympathy of cancer or heart disease. And I'm not putting down any other disease. I'm just saying there's a whole different outlook on this disease versus other diseases. There's kind of a pity. Oh, she she doesn't she couldn't possibly know what she's doing. She couldn't possibly know what she's talking about. And so you have to really prove yourself in front of a group of people. When you're telling them, telling them that you have Alzheimer's. You know, it's an interesting paradox that someone who has cognitive impairment would be a nationally recognized spokesperson regarding exactly. that disorder. And, um, and that brings me to this question. You know, you speak clearly, you articulate very well, um, and it would be um, easy to say, look, there doesn't sound like there's an impairment here. Tell me about the environment that you're in right now. What kinds of notes do you have around you? Who is sitting beside you? What's keeping you on track? Well, um, today I pulled out at least 10 speeches and papers from panels that I've been on and have spent the day writing everything down that I thought would be important. 
in front of me right now, I probably have 10 sheets of paper with questions that I thought you would ask, answers that I... I want to make sure that I, I say the right things and say the important things that I feel people that are dealing with it need to know. So, I, you know, I mean, it's in front of me, and I'm pretty much looking at it and reading it. Um, my day is... Um, my life is on a calendar. Everything is written on a calendar, uh, right down to appointments, things I need to do, grandkids I need to pick up, what I need to do in the way of housework, what I'm fixing for supper. Um, my phone is full of reminders of, uh, you know, and it's got alarms all over it. And I have a husband or a daughter or a friend that calls me to remind me of everything that I need to do. And I don't usually take myself too many places because I usually can't, I'm not real good about finding the way. Um, but I have people that, you know, want to pick me up and take me and so forth. And I really think one of the most important things in staying on top of things and staying mentally well is being social. I mean, my social, my social life, to me, is as, much to, is as much help as the mental things I do, everything, the physical, I, I walk every day for a couple of hours, I exercise a couple of times a week. I mean, I just think all of that is very important. I take my medicine religiously. I take coconut oil. I take vitamin E. I, I do all the things that, you know, and I'm lucky that I'm in a place and I'm a person that's been in places where people help me out, you know, as you, you know, uh, experts, that, you know, are constantly giving me feedback on how to keep myself. I mean, I feel sorry for the people that live in small places and rural places that don't get the kind of um, help that I get. But, Libby, you know, will I you, mean, there's just uh, a lot of things that you have to do, and you have to depend on people. You just have to depend on people and hope they don't back away from you and hope that they continue to be in your life and help you out. Will you now talk just briefly before we go to our next commercial, talk briefly about advocacy and what you have done in that area? Um, I became an advocate, um, and when I, I did, I started writing my congressman uh, here in Texas and speaking uh, to congresspeople in Texas. Um, of course, then I started going to the Alzheimer's Summit, uh, which is in D.C. once a year in the spring, and uh, speaking and doing those kinds of things and talk to congressmen. Um, you know, and, but the most important thing is to talk to other people and get other people on board to write their congressmen, um, you know, get these bills passed through, uh, you know, to, to get equal funding from the government on research for Alzheimer's, along with, I don't want money taken away from other diseases. I just want equal funding for finding a cure for Alzheimer's. And so, I mean, that's the most important thing, I think, is um, getting other people to do this along with you. I mean, I've written editorials. I've written magazine articles. I've done all these things um, all to get people to realize and to be on board with us to you know, um, bring awareness about this disease and, you know, to get Congress to pass the bills and uh, make uh, medical people more um, um, 
aware and educated about the disease and finding uh, and getting a, a, a diagnosis early. So for those of you who are so moved, and please be moved by what Libya is telling you, you have the opportunity to sign up as an advocate for Alzheimer's disease by going to the Alzheimer's Association website, which is www.alz.org. Um, the more grassroots movement we have on this issue, the more good that can be done in the long run. We're going to go to a commercial, and uh, I hope that you will stay with us for our final segment with Libby Embry, who is leading the charge on Alzheimer's disease. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Caring for someone with autism can be full of challenges and triumphs. Wherever you are on your autism journey, we all benefit from good information and guidance. Join host Rob Haupt every week for a friendly show that will leave you inspired and informed. Tune in to Autism Spectrum Radio. Our guests include parents, advocates, and experts to discuss current experiences, treatments, and breakthroughs for those living with autism. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Welcome back to the program. I am Dr. Sam Brinkman, your host, and we have been talking with Libby Embry, who was given a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease at 59 years of age and who has been very active in advocacy and public education efforts. So, Libby, I have really appreciated the time that you have spent here with us. I want to ask you a very important question. All right. Have you made a difference? 
And that's a difficult question. Um, of course, of course, I think I've made a difference. I think anybody that will, I think every time I give a speech, if there's 50 people sitting there and I reach one, that's one more person we have on board than we had before. Um, I, I'll continue to do it as long as I can possibly do it, hoping that every time I speak to somebody, I, I get across to them how important this is. Well, I agree. I think you're making a difference. We have a caller, Anna in Texas. Anna, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. How are you? Fine. Um, Do I you was have gonna a... ask... Sir? Yes, please please go ahead, Anna. Anna, are you there? Well, please stay connected up, and Libby and I will talk a little bit more, and let me know when you are connected with us again. Libby, what would you tell someone who thinks that they may be getting the disease or who thinks that they may recently have developed the disease? I talk with people all the time that think they have the disease or have just recently got the disease, and my uh, my advice to people is to get the diagnosis as soon as possible. Early diagnosis is the key to a more productive life. I'd be more afraid of life without the medication than I would of the Alzheimer's disease. It's an equal opportunity disease. If Big Al wants you, he's going to get you. And you have, there is no lock on the door. There's no shutting him out. There's no cure. Um, medication is all you have. Um, so get a diagnosis and get on the medication as soon as possible. Do not put it off. You have nothing to lose by getting tested. Uh, also to stay active mentally, physically, and most importantly, socially. And, um, you know, do everything that you read about. Uh, get the medication. Um, I'm just lucky that in my lifetime... I've come to know what I was here for, and that is to make a difference in this disease. Get a diagnosis. Get medication. You received a lot of help from the Alzheimer Association, yes. and um, the, the association has grown tremendously since <laughs> you were diagnosed in terms of the um, e, e, uh, information, the educational material, the support right. services that they have available. And I'm especially interested in a certain workbook that you helped to develop. Um, I help write, and I think it's, it, you, you can go online to www.alz.org, and they give, you very, they give you a lot of places that you can go. I mean, that was where Jerry and I first started. Um, as we were doing these panels and so forth, I was asked to help put a workbook together. And um, you can go online and print it off. Um, I actually don't want to know what the... I think it's called... Um, oh, I, I can't remember, Sam, but it's... Is this the, the caregiver notebook? Where, Is that the one um, you're talking about? You know, and I, I should have found it before we talked, but... Um, it's a workbook that talks about getting your diagnosis. Uh, it's got a calendar in it that you can keep everything together. 
it's got a uh, it's a daily it's a daily planner pretty much of your life. Um, questions about um, you know what would you, what are you going to ask the doctor the next time you go? Uh, medications, how they're making you feel, and most importantly for me, uh, one of the things that I added that I put in this book was feelings because when I first started. My feelings were completely different than they are now. But I thought it was important to look at your feelings on a daily basis and write how you're feeling. And then look at it tomorrow and see if you still feel the same way. And see if there's any way that you can change. What could I do to change this feeling? Um, And so it was, you know, and it was, you know, talking about staying active and getting involved and, be a hero for the disease uh, because there aren't many out there for this disease. And, you know, if you start small and work in your own little corner of the world, if everybody's doing that across the United States, it will make a huge impact on this disease in time. I agree. And the resources the resources at the Alzheimer's Association are so helpful with this type of thing. Now, just briefly, Libby, what would you want to say to physicians about diagnosing Alzheimer's disease? They need to get educated about Alzheimer's. Um, The biggest misconception about this disease is that it's an old person's disease. And we both know that couldn't be further from the truth. And um, so uh, doctors need to listen to people's diagnosis, I mean, people's symptoms, and start thinking about this disease Right there with um, ADD, right there with uh, being menopausal, all those kinds of things. And not just doctors, all health care professionals. We've got people out there taking care of people with Alzheimer's that don't know much about it. Libby, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you've done for our listening audience today. I'm very grateful to you, Libby Embry, for joining us in this conversation, Fighting Back Against Alzheimer's Disease. You are so welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. Dementia pugilistica. What a strange term. A term that was coined approximately 100 years ago by a British researcher named Corsellus. We don't talk much about dementia pugilistica today, but what we do talk about is something called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. This is the chronic condition of the brain that results from a series of what would seem to be relatively minor head injuries, which occur over a period of time. Our next program is going to be about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and our guest will be Jack Abenchan, a retired football player inducted into the Canadian Football League Hall of Fame just over a year ago. A wonderful man who has sustained many concussions over his years of youth in high school football, college football, and then professional football. So he is going to discuss playing football, having concussions, and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Thank you so much for joining us. We will talk with you next time. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.